There aren't many faces people are excited to see first thing in the morning before they've even had their coffee. But the McDonald's drive through workers who take your order on the way to work have almost all of those faces. Because nothing brings more joy in the morning than a 99 cents any size iced coffee. Pair it with a glazed full apart donut for a truly great morning. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Only available until 11 a.m. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the WIM Podcast. Women in Influencer Marketing, or WIM for short, is a first-of-its-kind exclusive networking group made up of inspirational women. This podcast is where we explore influencer marketing, advertising trends, and get real about women in business. Our mission is to network, to foster leaders within this exciting industry, and to share information to make our work stronger. That's where this podcast comes in. We'll bring you fresh perspectives on timely topics facing the industry from expert voices in the space. Find us wherever you download podcasts. And of course, you can always find us at IamWim.com. That's IamWim.com. Hey, everyone. How's it going? So happy to be here this week. We've got such a great episode for you. This one is for all of you out there who are freelancing, who are consulting, or who have contemplated what that would look like. We've got Meredith Jacobson on the show today. She's become a friend of mine throughout the years. I highly respect everything that she's doing in terms of her own work as a consultant, but also through her company, We Are Boosters, who along with Stephanie Stabulis, that's mentioned also in this episode, they have put together a community of fellow freelancers and fellow consultants to be able to share projects when one is swamped, too busy. They share it with the rest of the group. They support each other, help each other in all ways imaginable. And I think it's the coolest thing. We talk a lot in this episode about when to get started? How do you know that freelance life is right for you? How to excel at it? How to promote yourself? And also a little bit just about the creator economy and her predictions about the creator economy in general. So it's a great show. It's a great episode. I so look forward to you guys tuning in. As always, definitely check out our membership because we've got a great community of our own here at WIM. Not only do we do castings and mentorship and recruitment and all of these sub communities that we have on Slack, depending on the community, within influencer marketing that you're in talent managers for example it's a huge engaged community of talent managers on our slack channel but we've got this facebook group and um, just a ton of support and networking opportunities for women in the industry so i hope you look into our membership pull the trigger if you haven't already like seriously what are you waiting for every day that you don't join the membership it's just another day wasted and all these connections and friendships professional and otherwise that you could be making. So definitely check out our website. It's iamwim.com slash join. That's where you'll find all the information on our membership. I will totally be okay if you pause this episode right now, right now and go to iamwim.com slash join. Check it out. See if it's right for you. If you work in the influencer marketing industry, or even if you've been curious about it, maybe you just graduated, maybe you're looking to shift careers. It's absolutely a great opportunity for you to meet other women in this industry who are like kicking ass, taking taking names. Meredith is one of them. Enjoy this week's episode, y'all. We have Meredith Jacobson, who has become a great friend of mine through before WIM. I remember we met 
met in a, what was it like a little coffee shop in New York for like coffee, I guess, or lunch or brunch or something? Like how many years ago would you say that was? Yeah, I think it was right before your second whim event. Yeah. So I think that would be 2016, 2017. And you were at Ben at the time, weren't you? Yep. Yeah. So you were at Ben. You've been at some other really incredible companies. But I think like besides your awesome resume, personally, I feel like I'm really proud of what you're doing today. That's what I'm sort of the proud of the most as a friend. I think it's so cool what you're creating. I think it's so cool. You're taking that entrepreneurial route, which is so much more risky. It's something that you can count on necessarily. I mean, it's more risky, but there's so much more reward that you can get with freelance dancing, consulting, entrepreneur. So first and foremost, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm excited to be speaking with you after you've had so many awesome guests and you've been cranking out these podcasts for a while now. We just hit our like 100th episode a few weeks ago, which is really exciting. That's so cool that you have the dedication and the drive to just keep going and keep making them. I feel like so many people want to have a podcast, but they don't make the time for it. And so many people have cool stories that they can't get their act together to carve it out. So I love that you've been able to do it. I appreciate that. You got to love it. I enjoy the conversations. That's why I'm looking forward to chatting with you. Every person that we have on the show, like everyone's different. Everyone's got a different story. It's just like if you are an innately curious person, you can easily do a podcast. You just have to enjoy that. Like I mentioned, I'm excited to chat with you today. I want our audience to learn a bit more about you. They probably see your name in our Facebook group and you know they've heard things that you're doing and stuff. But A, I want for them to get to know you a little bit more personally. And B, I feel like it is such climate of whether it's people already freelancing and consulting or people who are very curious about getting into it. So I feel very confident that you have really, really great learnings and advice for people and just lots of thoughts on that whole industry and more and more people are getting into it. So I'm looking forward to diving into all of that today. Before we do, like I mentioned, we've been doing these sort of like rapid fire get to know you questions during our interview episodes. Again, it's so people just get to know you a little bit better. So I have not given you any of these questions beforehand. That's my disclaimer. So she does not know what these are. And I'm going to just like throw them at you. And the, the rule is you can't think too much about it. You just have to say what comes to your mind first. So are you ready, Meredith? I'm ready. Okay, awesome. We're going to start with question number one. If money was no object, what would you do all day? Hmm. Well, I mean, I would probably, I would take a lot of walks. I would hang out with people and talk to people and maybe I'd make a podcast. Oh, I like it. Are you a big walker? Like, cause you're in Boston, which is a very walkable city. Do you just enjoy going out for walks now? Yeah, all the time. It's, I mean, it's been the biggest lifesaver during the pandemic. If I go a couple of days without a walk, I start to go nuts. So I live in a fairly walkable area and I've spent a lot of time during the pandemic up in New Hampshire as well. And really nice walking around there too. When you're walking around, are you listening to podcasts? Are you talking to friends on the phone? Or are you just sort of with your own thoughts? Uh, all of the above. One of the podcasts that I have been crushing on for a while, which is like kind of a weird thing to admit because it's serious stuff, but it's called To Live and Die in LA. Have you heard of it? No, I don't know that one. Tell me about it. So it's hosted by Neil Strauss. And he's the guy who first came out with the game like back in the day, I think it was like in 2010s, which was the frat book teaching guys how to get women. 
And then he came out with this book called The Truth, where it reveals that he was actually like a sex addict and had all sorts of issues. And it follows him through his journey of like going to rehab and therapy and transforming his life and becoming woke. And now he's been working on this podcast for season two just came out. And he apparently had started with season two, which was looking into a missing persons case in California, in Los Angeles, that then spiraled into like his new habit or his new hobby is working on missing persons cases and using his celebrity to help find more information. Wait, that's so good. Any podcast that's like psychology or really diving into some like unspoken about or rarely spoken about things with human psychology. I find that so fascinating. That's a really good one. Where did you discover that one? I read his second book. I never read the game. And actually it was when I was living in New York, I listened to the truth and was blown away by it. I thought it was a really great audiobook. So then I think I just followed him after that and he released the podcast. And I mean, the first season is exhilarating because he basically in real time takes you along with him as he's investigating this missing persons case. And he ends up, I don't want to give too many spoilers away, but he puts himself in really dangerous situations and records it all. And so it's just like (laughs) your heart is racing when you listen to it. And there's so many wild twists and turns and it's just like, it's unreal. What is it called again? It's called To Live and Die in LA. Okay. I'm definitely adding that to my list of podcasts. Thank you. (laughs) Let me know what you think. That's so good. Okay. Question number two, besides social media apps, what is your favorite app on your phone right now? Hmm. Okay. (laughs) So my brother and his girlfriend and my husband and I got really into playing hearts this summer, like the card game. (laughs) And so now we all downloaded the app on our phones and we all play on our phones when we're not together. And so that's probably it. My heart's at. Wait, what a good throwback. That's awesome. And I'm such a nerd too that we have like there's four players in the online game and you can change the names. And so I named the players like the same names as my brother, his girlfriend and my husband. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Such a good answer. Last question. What makes you laugh the most? Definitely my friends, my friends and my clients. So good. How would you describe your sense of humor? Pretty sarcastic. (laughs) I would say. I just like clever humor. I love it. Well, you need to be like smart humor. Yeah. 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 I mean, if it helps answer your question, I feel like Gilmore Girls is my favorite show of all time. Basically that. Basically Gilmore Girls. That's what makes you laugh the most. I love it. I appreciate that. I am so excited to dive into the topic of freelancing, consulting. Let's start here. How do you first and foremost decide whether freelancing and consulting is even a good choice for you? Yeah. I mean, I had been thinking about freelancing for a while after I moved back to Boston, but I was so busy at my agency job that I didn't have a spare moment. I was waking up with my laptop in bed and working until the second I went to bed. So I guess ideally what I would recommend if you are not in that situation is to start freelancing while you still have a job and find opportunities and clients to build relationships with and to start to figure out what you could offer as a freelance while you still have the stability of full-time job because that's definitely the hardest part is to make sure that you're going to be able to make enough money to sustain an income. 
For sure. What is your disclaimer for people? Like if they have something, they should check in their employment agreement to see if they can do that, right? Totally. Yeah. Obviously, yeah. You want to make sure that you're cleared with your employer. And I guess to just to simplify it, because everyone's situation is different, you know, to answer your question again, it really comes down to whether or not you can afford to be without income for, I'd say, three months even more conservatively, I would estimate worst case scenario, six months. (laughs) So, you know, you have to make sure that you have savings or have already secured an income source by the time that you start. And that's sort of what I had done is I took on a part-time commitment after I left the agency and spent the rest of my time freelancing. And what that turned into is that I was relying on my part-time income for many months before I started making real income from freelancing. And so for those people who are like, okay, I'm in a situation where either they can do part-time with their full-time role, they have like a potential client that they could sort of like freelance with at this moment, what else should they consider when deciding if it's like a good choice for them to do that full-time? Are there any sort of like big picture things to look at in terms of what how they want their lifestyle to be or the amount of clients that they immediately have access to or growth potential or monetary potential, any and or all of that? stuff. What are your thoughts on just like deciding whether it's a good choice for them? Yeah. So my biggest piece of advice for people who are starting their freelance journey is I tell them that they should make a menu of services that they offer, because I think that the hardest thing about freelancing is figuring out what you can offer and then also whether or not clients will pay for it. And I suggest to them that they make a list of the different things that they offer, whether it's content strategy, social media strategy, influencer campaign management, or just influencer marketing strategy. And then you have those lists of high level items and take it a step further and actually build it out into, okay, say a client comes to you and says, I want to pay you to do social media strategy. Then what does that look like? What are you actually going to deliver to them when they make that commitment? Because in your mind, all of the high level things, you think to yourself, oh, I could do that, or that could be fun, or, you know, that sounds like something that would be a good way to spend my time. But when you actually drill down and you force yourself to confront what the day to day would look like if you were doing freelance social media marketing or influencer strategy, then you figure out, like, okay, is that really what I want to be doing? And is that enough work to be worth being paid? You know, and something like each of those for influencer strategy, for example, if you're just offering that, that's a pretty short term solution. And it's a lot harder to find somebody to pay for strategy work, because there's a lot of people who, you know, both brand side, agency side, you know, even PR, they're fine with strategy. A lot of where people need help is with campaign management. That's interesting. So what I'm hearing you say is like, find your list of services, but also make sure that those services are in demand, right? Yeah, totally. And it's like, if you only subsisted off of strategy work, you would need to get a lot more clients to make it lucrative. But if you're able to offer a variety of things, you know, it's a lot easier if you build a relationship with the client and things are going well to be able to say, hey, I can also do this for you or I can also do that. But if you only do like one small thing, then that means you have to be constantly getting new clients. Or just get a client that consistently needs that one thing. But what it is, is putting all of your eggs sort of in one basket versus diversifying, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, definitely. And your advice would be to offer as many services as possible. That's what I'm hearing. Is that right? 
No, I wouldn't go that far because you want to make sure that you're actually offering things that you're really strong at. So you don't want to be offering a service that you're not comfortable with. And that takes a little bit of time to figure out too, because at first you want to sort of have an open mind and try different things. But as time goes on, you start to realize like, oh, I actually do a lot better working with clients. You know, let's say for influencer, it's like in the food vertical, my whole network is in food. And every time I get, you know, hypothetically, every time I get a request for something in another vertical, it takes me three times longer to be finding the talent for those opportunities. Like you might at that point decide that it's better to just triple down on the food vertical and focus on your strength. Got it. So like find your strengths and amongst those find the most amount within your strengths. Perfect. I think the next natural question, and this is certainly a question I hear very often. So I'm starting to freelance. I'm starting to consult. What do I charge? What would you say to people who are simply just trying to figure out their rates? Yeah. So it's always a song and dance. And I think that, you know, what makes it really complicated is that the rates that are available vary greatly from brand to brand and from business to business. And so, you know, like, for example, one agency might be willing to hire you for call it $3,000 a month. And another agency might only have $1,000 a month and they may want the same thing. Now, does that mean that you should turn down the agency that wants $1,000? Well, if you're not doing anything else and you don't have any other prospects, like maybe not, you know? So what I sort of established is very early on, I did a few projects for much lower than I would have liked to be charging. But what that ended up allowing me is the ability to prove myself and to build relationships. And obviously, you can't always sustain doing that. But you have to look at the opportunity and see whether or not there's potential for growth. And you have to basically make sure that you're scoping it in a way that you're able to hold that client accountable. If you know something goes well, you might want to negotiate something higher next time. And it's always sort of a balance of what's worth it to you to take it on. And in your experience, for those jobs that you initially sort of, you know, lowballed because you just wanted to secure the work or you were getting comfortable with your pricing, did you experience that you were able to negotiate up the next time or the next time after that that you worked with them? Did you have success? Yep, that definitely was the case. But it's a mutual relationship. You know, this was hard for me to learn is that there were a couple of opportunities that I had early on that I was really disappointed that I didn't get. And I was the one aggressively following up and being like, hey, how about we do this? And how about we do that? And what if I cut my rate by X percent? And like those people, they were all very polite, but they were like, you know, we'll let you know. And they never did. And when I did end up getting clients that hired me, like there was always a mutual excitement of, hey, this is what we need. And me saying, this is what I offer. And they were excited about, they were responsive, like they were proactive in hiring me. And so I always really valued that now, you know, it has to be a mutual, it has to make sense for both sides. 100%. I think it needs to make sense for both sides, but also because it's like, it's really the start of a business relationship and any business relationship, the ideal is that you want it to be long-term. You want to have longevity with it. So everybody should feel super comfortable with it and feel confident that the other party in this is bringing value, is bringing enough or more value than what you're paying. And I guess what I would add to that as well is, yeah. you know, you always want to level set going into the conversation. If you are going to ask for offer a reduced fee or ask for more later. It's like you want to go into the conversation making it clear 
hey, normally I charge X, but because I'm really excited about this opportunity and you know I understand your constraints, I'm willing to do Y this time around, but we'll have to talk about it if we end up doing a future project together and like put that out there early. And the same thing, you know, when I've worked for someone at a lower rate in the past and they've come back to me for another opportunity and I've had to increase the rates, you know, I usually explain to them, this is due to the fact that my bandwidth is a bit more limited than it was when we worked together last time, or this requires more influencers. So it's going to be more expensive, or this is a quicker turnaround. So it's always making it clear that if you're charging more or less, making clear that why that is. A thousand percent. More talent managers even need to say that, you know, basically like in any negotiation, whether you're negotiating for yourself, an influencer, whoever it is, when you're sharing a quote, providing context, it builds trust too. Mm -hmm. And it feels like you're not just arbitrarily throwing out a number like spaghetti on a wall. It feels like, no, there was actually a lot of thought behind this. And here's some context. I respect you in this negotiation enough that I know that you're going to understand where I'm coming from if I explain it to you. So let me speak to you as like my equal here, provide some context and let's continue the conversation. Being on the other side of a negotiation, I know I appreciate that. So yeah, really, really, really good advice. And there's different ways to tread through that conversation, right? I love some of the examples that you gave. You could also say like, if they are just getting started, right? Like I'm just getting started. So I foresee my prices being higher later on, but for right now, I'm really just looking to build examples of my work or essentially build a portfolio. So consider yourself lucky basically. And I'm looking to build relationships, but just like managing expectations in that capacity or in any capacity in business, it will help tremendously. And it's exactly what you said, do it early on, dropping ideas early on. Like the more people have time to think about these quote crazy ideas, (laughs) that it becomes more comfortable for them. So drop those ideas early. (laughs) Yeah. And I think you bring up a really good point too, in terms of the value that it brings the consultant or the freelancer early on is, you know, you are the ability to have a case study and to speak directly to what your work is as a freelancer, that's a huge value that sometimes gets overlooked, I think. And so if you're really going for it, you're offsetting the... There aren't many faces people are excited to see first thing in the morning before they've even had their coffee. But the McDonald's drive through workers who take your order on the way to work have almost all of those faces. Because nothing brings more joy in the morning than a 99 cents any size iced coffee. Pair it with a glazed full apart donut for a truly great morning. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Only available until 11 a.m. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Potential, you know, the lost income, quote unquote, or the amount that you would have preferred to be making in value of being able to have a case study and being able to speak to, oh, yes, when I do influencer strategy, this is what it looks like. And being able to have a real example that's something you've done on your own, that's very, very valuable. I would argue to say maybe even one of the most valuable things that you can get, especially when you're starting out. I mean, because if you think about it, freelancing and consulting, you don't have a big name company behind you, sort of like, 
giving you credibility, right? Like you're not working for Google. You're working for you. Your name is on the door. And so if people don't know you yet, they have fewer things to be able to look to, to say like, all right, I want to hire this person. This person is my person because of X, Y, Z. So absolutely. If I'm shopping for a freelancer to work with, yeah, I'm going to look at who they've worked with. I'm going to look at examples of their work and things like that. I couldn't imagine not doing that. So do you recommend for people who are just maybe getting started or people who are thinking of getting into this, do you recommend that people have sort of like a media kit or a portfolio or examples of their work? Like how do they put their best foot forward? Definitely. Yeah. I recommend, you know, first and foremost, it's that menu because building the portfolio takes time. And, you know, as you were talking, I was just thinking about, it took me a little bit to be able to go from talking about the brands that I worked with as part of an agency to having all my reference points be my work as a freelancer. And I don't talk about brands that I worked with as part of an agency anymore. And that took probably a year and a half to build up enough experience and enough case studies and examples to get to that point. You know, I think that before I got to that point, I was talking about my menu and I was talking about what I knew I was capable of doing and like mentally wrapping my head around that. And then, yeah, it started to get real. I think for me, one of the interesting projects that I worked on, I actually did a barter deal with a digital agency who didn't have any experience with influencer marketing, but they're a creative agency. And so I did a campaign for them and they redesigned my website and came up with my logo and my colors and gave me everything that We Are Boosters is today. And that was hugely valuable to like bring in somebody who had that skill set and put me out there and put all my work on display. I guess to go back to your question, when you're figuring out how to display your information as a freelancer, I think the first First thing you want to do is make sure that your LinkedIn is really up to date and has the information about your freelance work um, or whatever you're able to share. And then definitely building out a proposal slash media kit deck that runs through who you are, where you come from, what you offer, and any case studies you have. Like that usually comes in handy. And then as you continue to build out your services, I think that a website can be really helpful as well. Are there any specific tools that you'd recommend? Like I love getting as specific as possible. Should they be on Canva? Should they be using email marketing to build their email list? Should they create an Instagram account? What do you suggest for, you know, brand building? I think the thing that I most recommend is just networking, networking a ton and talking to people because you're kind of off on your own. And this is a big reason why I started We Are Boosters, which is that when you're a freelancer, it's really hard to find opportunities that are looking for freelancers because it's just always word of mouth that those opportunities get spread and someone's looking for a recommendation and it's usually they find the, the nearest person in their network. And so the more people you have in the network, the more likely somebody's going to think of you. I think in addition to that, putting out content on social media, in email, you know, it definitely can't hurt. I think LinkedIn is probably better than Instagram, in my opinion. But there are some people that I know that do a lot of great work on Instagram as well. And, you know, if you're a prolific content creator and that just comes naturally to you, then I think it's definitely a good tool to use. But there's a lot of professional networking communities that are both digital and eventually maybe someday in person that I just recommend meeting as many people as you can. 
I mean, LinkedIn makes a ton of sense. I just know that there's, you know, there's only so many hours in a day, mm-hmm. right? And so it's like, where do you put your focus? So I appreciate LinkedIn, you know, if that's going to be your focus. I mean, we got to talk about We Are Boosters because talking about efficiency and like having the system work for you. I mean, you've built this incredible community of freelancers. Why don't you, in your own words, tell everybody the concept of We Are Boosters, what you guys are working on, and if somebody is interested in sort of getting involved, the best way for them to do so. Yeah. So back in the summer of 2020, I had started to pick up a few clients and I realized that I was starting to get more requests than I knew what to do with. And I had to make a decision at that point whether I wanted to continue working as a solo consultant or if I wanted to start building a team and start potentially turning into an agency. And I noticed that a lot of people were doing freelance work who I had met through whim is one example. And also people from my past jobs. And I had noticed that there were people being laid off and trying their hand at freelancing and everyone was sort of at their own stage of the journey. And I realized that there wasn't a centralized place for freelancers in influencer marketing to gather and to be able to be contacted as a community of options. And I'm a big fan of the concept of something like a marketer hire, where you can find marketers very efficiently and people from all around the world are there. And I realized that there wasn't something similar for influencer marketing. And so I decided to create it. And yeah, we're... We're about 30 consultants strong across mostly the U.S. with a couple people, one in Canada, one in the U.K. And I try to keep it U.S. based, but open to expanding as time goes on into other countries as well. And the way that We Are Boosters works is it initially started as a minimum of five years of experience in influencer marketing, whether it's on the brand side or on agencies. But everyone has to have direct relationships with influencers and experience in the influencer space because the credibility piece was really important to me of if we were going to be gathering consultants, I wanted to make sure that they really knew what they were talking about and had experience in the weeds. And I've since relaxed the five-year experience a bit to, you know, I take people that are a little bit less, like if people have three years of experience, then sometimes like certain brands, they're a really good fit for. And even if somebody only has one year of experience, I started letting them into the community because what I found is that people forge partnerships with each other. And so we've got a lot of great senior level freelancers in the community that sometimes are looking for a more junior person to help them with their projects. And so I really wanted the community for freelancers who have a passion for influencer marketing and accountability in the sense of they are very clear about who they are, what they offer, and whether what types of projects are right for them. And so if somebody with one year experience came in and said, you know, hey, I'm ready to lead an account for (laughs) a top corporation's influencer program strategy, then that might be a little bit of a problem. But if somebody with a year or two of experience comes to me and says, hey, you know, I really love influencer marketing, but I haven't been able to find the right experience for me. I'm looking to learn from other freelancers and potentially support them as needed. I find them to be just as great of a fit for the community. And so do you find that your community has a relationship with each other? Is it basically filling specific roles and connecting dots for those freelancers to find opportunities. What is the culture like of We Are Boosters? 
we do have a community that engages with each other. We have a Slack community and we message back and forth. And I love hearing stories of people collaborating with each other because I tried to bring together people with different skill sets and different areas of the industry. Like we have some people who focus on Facebook video optimization freelance as one of the boosters. And we have a lot of people who have experience working directly with talent and a lot with agency and a lot with brand experience. And so, you know, we have a lot of conversations within the channel about what we're experiencing with our clients. If people have questions about something changing on a platform, then we kind of weigh in from the different perspectives. And it's like a mini whim, but just hyper focused on freelancers. <laughs> then we also have regular events where we get together and catch up calls. And I've posted office hours from time to time to catch up with people and just figure out how I can be a resource. And people have been very helpful for me in different ways as well. And we all bring opportunities to the table and pass them around to each other. I love that. I mean, there should be a ton of communities. Like I love a good niche community. So there's a need in whim to with a lot of people who are freelancers or wanting to be freelancers or consultants, etc., to find that community. Because as specific as I sometimes feel like whim is when it comes to, you know, it's just women and just influencer marketers, as you know, there's so many other communities within that and freelancers is a huge portion of it. So I think it's brilliant, this idea that you've come up with. I think that you need to have that community camaraderie feeling to be able to ask those in real time questions, especially as a freelancer, because otherwise you would be working in a silo. It would just be you. You wouldn't have many other people to bounce ideas off of, or, you know, how do I run this business? How do I get new clients? What do I charge? Like I'm in this specific scenario. What would you do? And just that idea of information sharing is so stinking powerful. So I just think it's the coolest thing that you've built. And how long have you had it now? It's been over a year. We started ideating. Stephanie Stabulis played a big role in helping me bring it to life. And she and I started talking about it in June 2020. And, you know, we built a lot of the philosophy behind it and the website and all of that over the summer and really started onboarding people in the fall. And we continue to onboard. So I also wanted to plug, <laughs> you had asked me earlier how people find me, you know, I would love if there's any freelancers out there that I haven't connected with or consultants or people who are looking to get into it, please feel free to reach out via our website, or you can just email me at meredith at weareboosters.com. I'm sure we'll do this again at the end of the show, but just wanted to plug that out there. And, you know, it's been really cool because what I found is that if you create something, we, Stephanie and I had a vision of something that we thought could be really cool. And then all of a sudden it's a real living, breathing thing. So definitely feel really fortunate for the the folks in the community how who have been a part of it and who have engaged with it and who've gotten value out of it. There's so much value in this group. I remember when you just told me about the idea in the first place and I was like, heck yeah, like that sounds awesome. It just sounds like something that a lot of people could genuinely use and need and get value from. And I think it's the coolest thing. So weareboosters.com, check it out, get in touch. She literally gave you her email address, guys. <laughs> so she's good peoples and you're at the helm of this. I personally feel like a great community comes from the top, like any great company, like it's a great company. It's usually, it has a really good person in charge or people in charge. So I feel like that would about 
about you. I feel like that's why you've attracted great people. If you're even like curious about it, just get in touch. I know you're like an open book too and just love connecting with people. So definitely get in touch. I am super excited about that. I also just want to chat with you in addition to We Are Boosters, just about creators in general, like the creator economy. I mean, let's not forget that you're freelancers. I mean, they are influencer marketers working so much in the creator economy. You get like a front row seat into so much of that. So I am also just curious. This is a big question. (laughs) What do you think of the future of the creator economy? Yeah, you know, you hit on a really good point, which is that being a freelancer, I'm in such a unique position to see and hear all of the different things that brands of all sizes are doing with influencers and partnerships that they're creating and ways that they're providing value and also that the creators are providing value. And, you know, nothing drives me more nuts than when people talk about influencers like they're a media buy because it's sure that can be effective at times, but there's so many ways to partner with these people who like they put their passions out into the world and they gain attention and a following for it. And there's so many niches and opportunities for collaboration. So, you know, I've been seeing a huge boom in, you know, using influencers for casting, using them for hosting brand owned content, which like, I'm a big fan of those opportunities where the influencers are able to partner with a brand that pays them to create the content that they're creating already, but they have some production support and they have a team to work with. You know, they go from being alone to just creating their content with themselves and their small team to being able to collaborate with larger resource productions. I'm a big fan of some of those. Additionally, there's so many ways that creators can monetize their audience through Patreon and similar companies. And what I think for the future of the creator economy is I think all of these creators are going to have to become marketers. And what I mean by that is they're going to have to figure out how all of the tools that are available to them can work cohesively to make sure that they're maximizing the amount of money they're making, the ways that they provide value. Like we talked about this a little bit earlier, but you know, if you're somebody who is a DIYer, your content could be generating a ton of ad revenue. And you also could have a Patreon where you're selling your physical things that you're making. And you can kind of figure out how you play those things off of each other to maximize the revenue off of both. And I think that that's a really interesting opportunity. And I think that creators are going to be able to piece these options together and they're going to have to figure out which to prioritize. Like, I don't know, ever since Instagram released their requirements for what it takes to surface in the algorithm, it really felt like the death of Instagram to me. I think that there's so many ways to get attention. And I mean, TikTok is a huge way to grab views fast now and who knows what it'll be later and then funnel those audiences into places where the creator can own more of the revenue and more of the income, there's huge opportunity there. Well, there is, it's interesting that you say the death of Instagram. You know, I think I hear the sentiment of what you're saying. Look, it's like Instagram's just been around for so long. It's now owned by Facebook. It's just such a huge entity that like they still have to grow. So they're so wondering, how can we continue to grow? Is that even possible? So, you know, okay, now they're emulating people like TikTok, which is wild to me and so cool that the quote new kid on the block could like push people push these large entities like Instagram to places where like they have to adjust their ways of operating because 
TikTok has been so incredibly impactful. It has surpassed YouTube in views now on Android only. <laughs> but it's really interesting how influential these new platforms can be. So when, you know, okay, now they're like, oh, well, we need to be more transparent now because that's mm -hmm. the vibe. That's like the thing that creators and people in the industry are responding really well to. So they'd like drop these videos, but I hear you. It's like, what happens to just like creating content for content's sake or just like focusing on the community elements, focusing on the messaging and some of the more creative stuff versus how to beat the algorithm. I think that there's a lot of room for that as well. And I think that creator burnout is real and creators need to make sure that they're taking care of themselves and that they're not a slave to the algorithm. And so if what's happening is that creating isn't as fun for them anymore, or it's not as satisfying, then I think that they're going to need to figure out other ways that they can make an income and make a living. And, you know, maybe people will go back to creating content because they love it and because they just want to share it with their communities. And it won't be as much of a way to make a living for certain people. Obviously, you know, it's a huge, huge industry with a ton of opportunity. And so there's a lot of people who are going to continue to win for at least the foreseeable future. And so I would love to ask you two pieces of advice. One to creators who just want to be more successful in the creator economy, what would you tell them? And then what would you tell a practitioner who's working in influencer marketing of how they can impact and influence and better the creator economy? What would you tell each side of that equation? I think for the creators, the thing that I urge the most is to take care of themselves and to recognize that if you're doing it because you're trying to race against somebody else or you're not feeling good about yourself because you haven't hit a certain number of subscribers or because your engagement dropped, I mean, it's so hard out there. And I have so much empathy for creators who are dealing with some of those issues and like who have had a good run and are starting to feel hurt because there's so many other creators now, like the competition just maybe feels endless. So I guess my piece of advice would be to keep her perspective and be honest with yourself. And, you know, if you really love what you're doing, then keep at it and be creative, have an open mind and make sure that you're really maximizing all the opportunities that are out there for you. And if you don't love it anymore, like there's no shame in stepping back and recalibrating and figuring out, okay, you know, I made all this money, but I don't know that I can sustain it. So let's figure out what else is out there. There's always another door to open. That's very, very true. And then what would you say to influencer marketers who predominantly the ones who listen to this podcast, they want to make a positive influence. They want to make a difference in terms of the creator economy. Like what would you suggest to them the best way to go about that? I think it's very similar that there's a lot of loud voices out there and there's a lot of people who like to pound to the beat of their own drum and say, this is what's right and this is what's wrong and people who do this are wrong and people who only gift, you can't do that and <laughs> you got to pay me a million dollars or else I'm not going to work with you. Like you'll find your people if you keep trying and if you're not jiving, you know, you obviously want to take criticism and feedback and think about it and try to figure out where it fits into your world. But you know, if you're running an influencer program with gifting, and it's working well for you, you know, don't 
(laughs) don't feel bad like you're behind on something. And I think as an industry, we're still so, so, so early on in all of this. And everyone's best practices are based on a very relatively short time span. And so there's things, it's all so nuanced. And so make sure that you're paying attention to your goals. Make sure that you're treating everybody in the influencer marketing equation with respect. I mean, that's the number one thing is like, you have to be accountable, you have to be respectful, and you have to communicate. And as long as you're doing those few things, it's all going to be upward from there. No, I mean, I love that. I just think there's a lot to say about the topic and I appreciate it. Sort of my takeaway is just look inward and you'll find your way through it. Look inward and listen. Like I think listen actively and you know what I mean? It's not necessarily listen to all the people that are talking about what works well for them. I mean, there's a place for that, but listening to your partners and understanding where people are coming from when you engage with them. I think that's a great place to leave this conversation. I am so grateful that you could come on today. Selfishly, I think you're awesome. And I want for you to connect with more people through WIM. So if people are listening and they're like, dang, Meredith is awesome. And I really want to get in touch. What's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Is it through email that you mentioned earlier? Yeah, feel free to email me. You can ping me on Facebook if you want, LinkedIn, obviously. And yeah, just go to the website, www.weareboosters.com. Perfect. And we will link all of that in the show notes, of course. You're very active in the Facebook community. So if anyone is in there, you should just reach out to her there, whatever your platform of choice is. Meredith, thank you so, so much for being on today and have a good one. All right. Thank you for having me, Jesse. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, we got to have you back. Check out our website for more ways to get involved, including all the information you need about joining our collective. You can check out all the information at IamWim.com. That's IamWim, double I, dot com. And if you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review, a rating. But the most important thing that we can ask you to do is to share this podcast. See you next week. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week. Tune in next week. Gearheads know that some projects need so many parts, it feels like you need a whole storage unit just to store them. That's what eBay Motors' 122 million parts are for. Think of it as your virtual parts garage. They've always got the right fitment at the right prices. Use the eBay Motors app or visit ebaymotors.com. Let's ride.